So a lot like the week before this past week has been pretty mentally draining, but in an entirely different way. It'd be weird if I didn't address the alternative press Austin Carlisle controversy that's been going on over the last week. I've been super vocal about my disapproval of alt press on my personal Twitter over the last few years. Everything I've said about them is public information. They removed my byline I had from their website. Over 4,000 articles that I had written for them just completely gone. I've called them out multiple times for fucking up stories or just not even acknowledging important scene anniversaries or, or stories in general. One time they ran a news article on Lacey Mosley starting a project with Ben from Breaking Benjamin. They called Lacey the vocalist of Flyleaf, which is wrong. She left years ago. And then they used a promo picture of the band with their vocalist that they had after Lacey. There were so many things wrong with it. I couldn't even believe it. Then they started re-promoting lists that I had written for them while I was there, updated the posting date to 2020, and still removed my byline. Everyone from Corey Taylor to Ronnie Radke has co-signed my critique of alternative press. There's so many things I want to say, but I just don't want them to somehow come back and, and hurt the people that I care about in any way. But here's what I will say. Alternative press, I know you're listening. If you actually care about quote-unquote journalistic integrity and you truly have nothing to hide, let your former employees out of their NDAs you had them sign. And as for Austin Carlisle, I literally brought all of that shit up on the Attack Attack episode a few weeks ago. Open your fucking ears, people. That shithead has gotten away with everything for a decade. Are you going to let him get away with it all over again? And please, for the love of God, do not believe the bullshit of Austin Carlisle's former bandmates, label, management, claiming that they didn't know what he was doing. They're fucking liars. I read a statement that Andrew Wetzel, the drummer for Attack Attack, wrote for Attack Attack 10 fucking years ago, where he clearly states Austin Carlisle was sleeping with underage girls and then tore him apart from it. What did you do? Nothing. Until he finally got caught a fucking decade later. Please, people, open your eyes and don't let this shit slide over and over again. I cannot encourage you enough to not support alternative press. Labels, I know you're listening to this too. Pull your ads and bans from their magazine. Readers, do not buy the magazine. Do not click on their stories. Unfollow and block them on social media. This is the way the internet works. People move on and entities can survive after shit like this happens. I've seen it time and time again. Don't let them survive this. Okay, with that being said, let's move on to the news this week. So the Acacia Strain released two new songs and announced their new album, Slow Decay. The record will be released July 24th through Rise Records. So the band has spent 2020 dropping a bunch of two songs seven inches, just like the one that came out this week. They never said they were leading to an album, but with this latest seven inch, they have already released 10 songs off the album, which doesn't even come out for more than a month. So I'm a little confused at what the goal was here. There are only two songs off the album that we haven't heard yet, and I'm 99% certain that the vinyl they've released for each 7-inch can't be counted towards their first week, or the album sale in general, because there's only two songs on it. There's no album attached to it. I mean, that wouldn't make any sense at all, like two songs counting for an entire unit 
purchase of the whole album. Like Billboard has seemed fraudulent before, but that would put it way over the top. Unless the seven inches came with some download card that said, when the album drops, here's access to download the whole thing. I don't know. We'll see about that. But from what I've heard, physical units won't ship until the last week in July, which is why I'd have to guess is why they're waiting till then to drop the final two songs and like officially release the album. Who knows? This is obviously an art project and art projects pretty much never sell. So that's why none of it makes any sense to me. But you can literally go and listen to all but two songs from the album right now on any streaming service. The two they dropped this week were, were Earth Will Become Death and A Thousand Painful Strings, which features uh, Spirit Box vocalist Courtney LaPlante, who is also the former vocalist for I Russell to Bear once. She was Krista Cameron's replacement who was Iwabo's original vocalist. But anyways, the songs follow like the sludgy, downtrodden, downtuned, deathcore-ish vibe that the Acacia Strain have been putting out over the last few years. They released an EP called It Comes in Waves at the end of 2019, and it was different than these songs. Like, these songs on Waves felt refreshing. There was like this ethereal sense to him. It wasn't just sluggish and felt like it dragged on forever, like a lot of these songs on their new album do. Earth Will Become Death literally feels like it never ends, and it's only four minutes long, but it is such a boring listen. Most of the release of Vincent using his one-tone scream to yell about the earth decaying under the weight of humanity's existence over riffs that feel like they last literally in eternity. I mean, if you want to fall into like a black hole of deathcore boredom, this album was made for you. And you can literally say the exact same thing about 1000 Painful Strings, except Courtney adds this small sliver of a new dynamic. I'm definitely tapped out on the Acacia Strain album. It's not gonna sell anything at all, especially at this point. I mean, even under regular circumstances, there's no way they would move any units. So I'm at a 4.2 on Earth Will, Come, Earth Will Become Death and a 4.9 on 1000 Painful thr Strings. You don't need it go listen to it comes it comes in waves all right moving on amir released a new song called i've seen god this is the fourth single from their new album hindsight which is coming out in two weeks on sharp tone records it's a sluggish song compared to the other singles that i've talked about in previous weeks on the show and it's funny because the song starts with some like unexpected lows from frankie that are honestly kind of reminiscent of vincent's that i was just talking about and then the song goes into this deep voice rap like section where Frankie name drops a ton of bands. People are pretty confused on if he's calling them out or not, or if he's just name dropping them for the sake of wordplay. I'm gonna read the lyrics and then tell you what he's actually doing. So Frankie says, say you stick to your guns, but you stray from the path. Not a killer like Attila when you feel my fucking wrath. Broken teeth get knocked loose when I get nasty. Murder thy art when I'm stepping on a track. See, nails in the coffin, ice in my vein. Pass me the crown so fit for a king. So the bands he mentions are Stick to Your Guns, Stray From The Path, Attila, Knocked Loose, Thy Art Is Murder, Nails, Vein, and Fit For A King. And here are the final lyrics to the song. 
See, you can be next. Yeah, you can be the one, but you'll never be me, so you'll never be God. Frankie is calling these bands his sons, basically. It's not necessarily a call-out or even a beef, per se. It depends on how those bands receive it. But if you look at them, the only band that started before Amir was Stray, which was in 2002. Amir and Stick to Your Gun started in 2003. But Amir was the first band out of this lot to really gain any notable momentum that really broke like the, the inner scene consciousness. All the other ones followed after them. A couple of them don't make a ton of sense, like Die Art is Martyr and Fit for a King, and maybe Stick to Your Guns, but I can definitely see the rest. And Scene is the title, and it's literally spelled S-C-E-N-E, not S-E-E-N. So he's referring to himself as the scene god. This is also an interesting sentiment change because the album's three previous singles that I've talked about see Frankie in a very nihilistic, dilapidated state. He's literally asking God to kill him on Gypsy Dance, and now he's calling himself a god on this track. I don't like I've seen God as much as the other singles, but I do like to hear Frankie's lows, even if they ironically sound like Vincent's from Acacia. And another ironic layer is Frankie doesn't name drop Acacia here, which even though they buried the hatchet a long time ago, Amir and Acacia Strain had massive beef back in the day. But bottom line, I've seen God. is It's just a fun track. It's the fifth song on the album, so it's a good interlude type song when you think about the album's continuity. I'm at a 7.3 out of 10 on this one. Moving on, this week's rock radio rundown. Ask Alexandria's anti-socialist has climbed to number six. This matched moving up as their highest charting rock radio single ever, and it's still climbing in plays, up 3.2% from last week. It's gonna need a bit of a bump to catch corns, can you hear me? But we'll see what happens. Next week we might be talking about anti-socialists as asking Alexandria's highest charting rock radio single. Falling in Reverses, Popular Monster has fallen to number 10. This is completely natural. Once a song reaches its peak in plays, it begins its plummet down the chart. It's just the way it goes, and honestly, Popular Monster is hanging on harder than most have, especially when they get to number one, because the fall off is just insane once you get there and it finally ends. A Day to Remember's Resentment still hanging on to 14. It's down 2% in plays. And Motionless and White's Another Life still at number 15, down 1.1% in plays. They just can't seem to get over the ground they're at right now. Like, they've just hit a wall and they're just stuck there. Amity Afflictions, Soak Me in Bleach, down from 39 to 40. Fame on Fire breaks even at number 41. And Fit for a King's Breaking the Mirror down from 38 to 43. 21 Pilots' level of concern is still at number one on alternative radio. I mean, they are just a mainstay at alternative radio at this point. But something that's becoming more and more interesting, All Time Low's Monster featuring Black Bear is up from number 29 to number 27. And it's up over 17% in plays from this time last week. So, like I've said, the momentum could stop at any moment, but... This is looking pretty good for all-time low here. And finally, 21 Pilots continue their plummet off the top 40 chart, where Level of Concern sits at 48, falling from 38 at this point last week. It will not be on the chart next week. Okay, moving on to our deep dive this week. So the story of Four Years Strong and how they could have been one of the biggest bands to ever come out of the scene. What happened? Where did they come from? 
And where did it all go wrong? And was there really any beef with A Day to Remember? And how many labels were they actually on? So let's start where all bands start, the demos. For Your Strong officially formed way the fuck back in 2001. They released a ton of demos, an EP, I guess you can even call one like a demo album, uh, before Riser died trying in 2007. You can find them all on YouTube. They're like a fun slash funny listen. You're not missing anything if you don't. But in 2007, the band released Riser Die Trying on I Surrender Records and just shot out of a momentum cannon, basically. I remember the first time I heard the band was on the 2008 Warp Tour compilation. Bada Bing with a Pipe was on there, and to this day, it takes me right back to that summer. I can't tell you how many times I just drove around with friends in the middle of the night just screaming that song. This is just a ridiculously fun album. It doesn't break a ton of new ground. You have the easy core coming through the cracks with the synths, but at local levels around the mid 2000s and even kind of in the early 2000s, that sound was happening. Like it was already there. It just didn't break the scene's you know consciousness until the late 2000s when it really started to take over. The breakdowns are cheesy, like in Beatdown in the Key of Happy, the structures are loose and uh, super underdeveloped, lyrics are written by and for teenagers, you know, one is, I'm stuck in a town that's not enough for me, don't tell me that it's easy, some say that I'm bad news, but I got some news for you, we live a life that nobody knows, we're having fun and I'm sure that it really shows obnoxiously and selfishly, I mean, they were... These, this album reflects kids having fun and getting momentum while doing so. They were finding their footing. That's what this album was. And it did what it was supposed to do. It caught people's attention. Now, the cycle for this album leads us to the supposed, alleged, A Day to Remember beef that everyone seems to want to hear about. So in 2008, A Day to Remember and Four Year Strong were basically co-direct support for Newfound Glory on the Easy Court tour with Crime and Stereo as the openers. Even though Four Year Strong were gaining momentum with Rise on this cycle, it was pennies compared to what A Day to Remember were doing with For Those Who Have Heart. They had just re-released that album with their Since You've Been Gone cover and were absolutely blowing up. So the story goes that ADTR's management asked For Your Strong to take a cut on their set time so A Day to Remember could play longer each night. For Your Strong refused, and thus the beef was born. In 2010, For Your Strong released their next album, Enemy of the World, and on it was a song called Paul Revere's Midnight Ride. Then A Day to Remember fired back on their next album, After Homesick, with Second Sucks, which is obviously the winner here. I mean, listen to these fucking lyrics. I speak the truth and everybody else knows it, so set your ego to the side and just get the fuck over it. Can't waste my time on hateful people like you, so keep wishing you were me and I'll keep making you have to. The music video for Second Sucks also has some subtle shots at Four Year Strong, so if the songs are actually about one another, it's so obvious who won this beef. The commercial success of these bands isn't even comparable anyways like a day to remember is just in a different league but anyways this is where i want to get back to the label talk with four year strong before they came back and signed to pure noise in 2014 after their like brief hiatus they had never released an album solely on the same label twice so in 2008 they released a covers album called explains it all they released that duly on i surrender and decadence which is the label owned by pete wentz and 
Patrick Stump. On December 18th, 2008, Alternative Press ran an exclusive report that confirmed Four Years Strong had officially become a major label band. They signed to Universal Motown Records and released Enemy of the World through both UMR and Decadence. So Enemy is easy core at its most fully realized form. There is something just really, really special about this album. It shows how much the band grew as songwriters and took the underdeveloped formula of rise and just matured it like a fine wine into this easy core juggernaut enemy did 12,000 first week and it was really looking like four years strong were on their way to becoming a really big scene band and then in some way shape or form happened i want to make this clear this is a great fucking album David Bendeth, who produced this record, has dipped his foot into, this, into you know scene bands time and time again. He produced Under Oath, Lost in the Sound of Separation, and then the album's deluxe DVD. There's a kind of infamous scene where he's trying to get the band to let him write a rock radio song with them. Tim, Under Oath's guitarist, almost has a heart attack at just at the thought of it. And it's funny now because look what Under Oath did with their comeback. But anyways, David Bendeth has worked with scene bands before. He helped refine a few of Paramore's early hits and I've heard that Four Years Strong hated working with him and I've heard this from other bands in the scene that have worked with him too I've also heard that a couple of his studio hands were the ones who really drove the ship when it came to writing hit songs and offering the right advice on where to take songs but Ultimately, in some way, is Four Years Strong grown up in the eyes of a big fucking rock band. I mean, it was that that album is Foo Fighters with a punk edge, but with their newest album, we saw how Four Years Strong actually ended up growing up, and it was just in this weird, heavy 90s alt grunge sound that was just through the Four Years Strong lens. But in some way, was supposed to be how Four Years Strong broke out of the scene, but kids fucking revolted. Scene kids did not want Four Years Strong to be a rock band, let alone a big rock band. They wanted them to stay an easycore band forever. I cannot stress this enough, people. Let your favorite bands grow up. If they pivot and make a shitty album, then let's go. Green light on the revolt. But this was not that. You people got pissed because Four Years Strong took synthesizers out I mean, like, really? 2011 was that bad to you? This is a great album, and the scene let Four Years Strong down in the biggest way possible. This album did 6,500 first week and took all the wind out of the band's sales. After this cycle, they took a few years off, and people really thought they had just broken up. But in 2014, they came back on Pure Noise Records. They brought back the enemy sound. The fans were left. The fans that were left were happy, but it was just over. There was no commercial prospect for the band anymore. And some of these songs are solid, absolutely. There is a world where Tread Lightly is a little more refined, and it's the lead single to some way in the band become the next Rise Against. But no. We're here in 2020 with two more albums from Four Years Strong since some way. They're self-titled in 2015 and then Brain Pain earlier this year. Self-titled was a return to form, but really as a whole just felt like B-sides to Enemy. And then the weird heavy 90s alt grunge of Brain Pain. 
I don't have numbers for that album, but it debuted at number 175 on the top 200. It literally barely charted, so it was only a couple thousand units for Sweet Tops. That's how low this shit is. But listen, it seems the band is happy where they're at with this album. It's obvious they were ready to try something different, and the support was there. It was almost entirely positive. It's just that the audience has a... You know, it was a sliver compared to what it used to be. And that's what disappoints me most. I talk about bands like All Time Low who blew two major label shots because they dropped shitty music. That's on them. Four Year Strong's fall was on the scene. It wasn't them. It was us. And that is why Four Year Strong could have been such a massive breakout band. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions for the show, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Note to Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd very much appreciate it. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Music